chocolate. 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 Hey, chocolate lovers. We're off this week, but for today's bonus episode, we have a clip from an interview I did last month with Dan O'Darty of Cacao Services, based in Hawaii. For the last decade, Dan's been working with farmers, first locally and then also internationally, to improve their post-harvest processing of their cacao. In this clip, you'll get a bit of a preview of next week's episode, dedicated to all things Hawaiian chocolate and cacao. Dan talks obstacles to growth, dole foods, and the real future of Hawaii's cacao and chocolate scene. There's a couple different camps and kind of categories of cacao growers in the island. You have people that are making a run for it and they know they're not going to get wealthy, but they, they need it to be a profitable and visible enterprise. And there's a lot of other people that are just passionate and excited about it. And it's more of a cottage industry. What role do you think that migration from the mainland and tourism, especially coming from the mainland, has played in the development of Hawaiian cacao and Hawaiian chocolate? I mean, there is a big opportunity for that, depending on where you're located. Steelgrass, or I guess it's now Lydgate Farms on Kauai, you know, they certainly generate more revenue from the agritourism component than they do from the actual production. I mean, they're, they're really trying to expand and grow. So I don't know how those numbers will look over time. The original wine chocolate factory on Kona side of the big island, they've been doing that for a long time. You know, and they, they are technically vertically integrated. They they do produce finished chocolate. A lot of that was helped by they were able to get a fairly sizable USDA grant. But uh, it's very clear that their revenue from tourism also dwarves the revenue from farm production and chocolate sales. So that's that's viable. Some people like Dole do not offer tours of their cacao plantation, but their their tourism center in Helamano at the top of the hill in Oahu, they they generate many millions of dollars from their pineapple and plantation tours and retail sales. Here on Maui too, you know, we're going to have retail sales in a factory, but uh, we're not going to offer tours to the cacao farm on a public level. And I, and I think a part of that, and I think a part of reserve for some people is that people could introduce disease. So there's some fungal diseases and other pests that could be introduced by contaminated shoes, clothing. So that's that's one of the edges that Hawaii has, despite all of the extremely high costs. And, you know, to be frank with with the climate, and by that I really mean the long days and high solar radiation and, and the trade winds are really the barrier. You'll hear people talk about cold weather and, you know, that's that's not really the limiter here. It's, the, it's not too cold in Hawaii. I mean, there's places in the Andes and that are high elevation that grow that are considerably cooler here. Um, than here at nighttime. Yeah, I mean, the tourism aspect is definitely viable, but I don't know what risks are associated with that. It seems to me like Hawaiian cacao has been sort of a slow burn with more and more people slowly gaining interest in growing the crop. But what role has the really famously high cost of living on Hawaii, on any of the islands, played in the slow development of the chocolate and cacao culture here. Yeah, like I said, in addition to the, the fact that land is 
affordable land to either purchase or to lease is not always easy to come by, but it having a favorable combination of soil, irrigation if that's needed, exposure, security, all of those things, that kind of perfect storm that creates a favorable site is rather rare in the islands. And then, you know, once you have that, you know, how do you staff it? Quite honestly, it's hard to find agricultural workers in Hawaii that are willing to spend long days in the sun and the dust. Uh, a lot of these sites are, are not close to paved roads. And so there's not facilities for, you know, there's not restrooms or, you know, shelter to eat your lunch and wash up and things like that. And so it's a, it's a constant challenge for larger farms or any size farms to actually employ people. And, and then the cost, right? I mean, you're not going to get anyone. I, I see very few farms that get workers for less than $15 an hour. And realistically, it's more like $20 an hour. And even then, there's a fairly high turnover. So, you know, the worker issue can't be underestimated. That's a huge it's a huge barrier to commercial operation. What would you say are the biggest differences or the most striking differences between the last 10 years, like 2009 versus 2019, on the Hawaiian cacao scene? And what do you expect to see in the next? Considering the, the overall scale, which is small, but it, it went from essentially nothing, right? I mean, it went from the only serious farming operation being dole to you know there's there's at least 10 or a dozen serious players that are you know putting in thousands of trees or in the process of so you know that's nice especially in a in a state where agriculture is, is still very small there's very few crops that are viable so that's exciting and positive i think in the next couple of years um You'll see a couple of more projects maybe come online. You know, I do have one project that's breaking ground now that is considerable and would be the largest farm in the state by by quite a long shot. I think, you know, they'll continue to develop the, the small interest farmers. But, you know, to be honest, a lot of the small lifestyle farmers are are past retirement age. So I don't know in the next 10 years. Um what's going to happen there it's um i don't know i see a lot of i see a lot of parallels to this in the bean to bar industry right because it's been a coincidence that and, and probably not a coincidence it's somewhat related i think as as the general public has more awareness of bean to bar chocolate that you can actually make chocolate from beans rather than just buy it off of the rack i think those two things have gone hand in hand i think part of it is coincidental so you know, a lot of the hobbyists, just like being to bars, you know, after it's all fun and games for a couple of years, but at a certain point you realize you're you're working a tremendous amount of time and not making ends meet. So I think there'll be a settling out. I think a lot of the hobbyists and people that aren't serious will eventually kind of fade away. It's a sensitive crop. It requires a lot of effort, but I do think there'll be solidification of the people that are really committed to it and the people that can make it economically viable, right? If it's if it's not economically viable, then you know it's not sustainable. So I think there's a positive future, but I think the, the scale and the demographic and the proportion of farms at various sizes is going to shift. Mm -hmm. 